Hey everybody and welcome to episode 5 of Religion Cast Podcast. This is Raleigh. This is Scott. I'm Tyler. Welcome. How's it going everybody? Um, we have a Good. pretty interesting one oh. for you today. Not you, <laughs> that was Scott. To the, that was to the world, not you. I know how you're doing. <laughs> bad. We Scott's a, doing bad. We have a we have a fun one today, guys. Um, we noticed, uh, well we, not, we didn't notice, we know that we've been doing it, but up to this point we haven't covered anything in the sphere of Islam at all. So we decided that we're going to do a... Uh, a three-part series on Islam, maybe not consecutively, but today we're going to give you a basic introduction to Islam. After that, the sec- the next episode that we do on Islam will be the five pillars, and after that we'll do Sharia law. But to begin with, we feel like we just need to give some base-level information on the faith. All right, let's uh, let's begin this conversation with just kind of talking about some major key words in Islam. Uh, Islam. Muslim and Allah. Let's talk about those three words. Let's talk about what those are for Islam. So our first word is Islam. Explain that one to us, Tyler. Well, I think let's let's before we get into like what it means or or anything like that, let's go ahead and talk about the distinction between Islam and Muslim. Oh yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all get and people they're not they're not trying to be rude or or or, or hateful or anything. It's, it's just, just people don't know. Yeah, everybody's they don't know or they're misinformed. Right. We or, get student writings all the time referring to Islams as the practitioners of the religion. So just to clear it up once and for all, Islam is the name for the religion. Mm-hmm. Muslim is the word for person who practices the religion of Islam. Yeah. And they're, so, the, they're the same word yeah. technically, but I mean... No, not even technically. They're the yeah, same word. Yeah, it's just they they are different words in English, and so we need to use them properly. Right. Well, it's like you wouldn't call somebody who practices Christianity a Christianity. You call them a Christian, mm-hmm. and we make those distinctions. Or yeah. someone who practices Judaism, we don't call them Judaisms. We call them <laughs> Jews. Um, it would be funny if you did that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just like kind of a baseline distinction that we should probably just keep in mind when we're talking about these things. All right, So so when we say Islam and Muslim are the same word, Explain that to us. What do those? Yeah, what do, and, those, what do those mean? And what language are we talking about as well? All right. So whenever we're talking about uh, Islam throughout, we're mostly going to be talking about terms that come from Arabic, which is a Semitic language, just mm-hmm. like Hebrew or Aramaic. So they're they're very closely related. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Semitic languages do is they have roots to their words that are made up of three consonants. Mm-hmm. So if you listen to the words Islam and Muslim, you'll notice that all of those have S L M in them. Yep. And that this triliteral root in Arabic refers to ideas related to completion or submission. Mm-hmm. And that is what the term Islam is generally uh, thought to yeah. mean within religious contexts. Is Islam is submission to God. And a Muslim is someone who submits. Right, to God. So that's where these terms are coming from. Interestingly, the root in Hebrew means what, Tyler? Uh, shalom means to uh, repay or to be complete or whole or safe or to be in peace. Mm-hmm. And shalom is a word that people right, and that to, comes across yeah. right. When you hear shalom in Hebrew, it's the same thing in Arabic. When you hear people say salam aleichem, which mm-hmm. means peace on you. Yep. So we covered Islam and uh, Muslim, but there's still one out there, and this one's the one that most people have a lot of preconceived notions about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allah. Uh, let's talk about Allah. So let's start with what Allah means. It literally means, if you want a very little translation, the God, the God, the God. Um, And again, Arabic, this is an Arabic word is just like Hebrew. So they're, they're both Semitic languages. They're not just, it's not just like Hebrew. Sorry. They're both Semitic languages. So they're very closely related. Mm -hmm. And the root of the word Allah, Aleph Lamed Hay is the exact same root 
as the word Elohim used mm-hmm. throughout the Hebrew Bible to describe God. So this is just a standard yep. Semitic word for a class of divinity. It is literally the exact same word. Literally the same word. So in Islam, they've attached the definite article to begin to the beginning of this very common Semitic word. It's not just in Arabic and Hebrew, it's in all of them. To, so that you come up with the rendering, the God. And in Islamic thought, this is the reason they do this is because they're referring to the only God that exists, which mm-hmm. to them is whatever God you think it is that talked to Abraham, that's the God that is referred to by Allah. Mm-hmm. And this further comes along in uh, Islam to be understood as the actual name of God in yep. Islamic thought. So this is kind of a similar phenomenon in English as well, because people don't give God a name in English. You don't say God's name is on. I mean, some people go back to the Hebrew uh, on it, but most people just say God. You know, I'm talking about God. And they capitalize it like it's a name. Capital G. It's just it's a proper noun uh, in English. And so that kind of same understanding also renders to Allah, which is it's the proper name of God. And there are other there there are ninety nine other there's the ninety nine names of God, but most of those are characteristics and kind of understanding, mm-hmm. which also you know in in English most you know Christians have the idea of like oh there are certain titles or names that they ascribe mm-hmm. to to like that's God. a whole that's a whole different episode. Yeah, that's a, that's, but we'll get into that some other yeah. time. But. So we so we've gone over the if we're just going down the, the terms list we've gone over Islam, Muslim, and Allah. The last one that we want to go over is the word. Quran. We'll go over what the Quran is, but let's talk about what the word Quran actually means. Let's do a little interjection before we get to Quran. Let's talk about Muhammad. I think that that's probably a good a good place to yeah, talk. Yeah, I think Muhammad's a good segue into the Quran. I think a lot of people take, yeah, when you go from Allah to Muhammad to Quran. That's actually that's, the right order. <laughs> that, that's the progression of <laughs> Islam, actually. So with Muhammad, uh, the first question for us is, who is Muhammad? Mm-hmm. And just to clear the air, uh, the first notion that we have to fight against is... Yeah. Muhammad is not Muslim Jesus. And that this is, is a this is a view that's extremely prevalent in the Western world. Um, they see Muhammad as being a centerpiece to the religion, and so therefore he has to be the equivalent of something like Jesus in Christianity. And this is just not the case at all. Um, it's exactly is actually explicitly not the case. <laughs> right. So there's no sense in Islam that Muhammad is divine or in any way any different really from any other human being. Yeah, we'll say that again. There is zero divinity attached to Muhammad. And another thing to keep in mind is that, I mean, Muhammad dies, so that's, and is dead. Yes, stays dead, like most people. So again, again, this is simply to reinforce the notion that there is no tradition in Islam that associates, that, that, that tries to say that Muhammad is divine in the same way that you see Christianity trying to do with Jesus. So we've established that uh, Muhammad's not divine. Then our next question is, well, what does Muhammad do uh, within Islam or for Islam? Right. So Muhammad functions as a prophet. He's the, considered to be the final prophet. He brings the, a revelation from God, which other prophets had done, but this is the last and most pure revelation that God has given human beings. And Muhammad is pictured in the Quran and within Islamic tradition is coming in a long line of prophets that include people like Jesus, Moses, Abraham, Noah, mm-hmm. very, a lot of familiar yeah, people. Every, from the every prophet from the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And that also includes the fact that Jesus is the Islamic Jesus. That's right. Not, not, not Jesus isn't God in Islam, but he's still considered the Messiah, the son of the Virgin Mary, a prophet of God. All of these things also come up in the Quran about Jesus. And we'll hopefully get to talk about that in another time. Yeah, in more detail. Part of Muhammad's role as a prophet is to carry this message from God to people. And what do we call that message? How, or how does that, you know, how does that come about? 
it's it's the message of Muhammad is the Quran. Mm-hmm. The Quran is supposed to be these. It's it's not the words of Muhammad. It's the words of God that Muhammad transmits to other mm-hmm. people. So if you ever pick up the Quran and read it, you'll notice that a lot of it is in first person, like it's 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 yeah. I or the royal we, and that's God speaking. And, and Muhammad is simply the one who transmits these messages from God. And what makes that even more interesting is if we think about what the word Quran itself means. It means to read or recite. Right. the The Quran is the recitation mm-hmm. or the the red thing. And this comes back to the idea that when Muhammad first had had his first sort of revelation experience, he was told to recite, to read. Mm-hmm. So that's a good uh, segue of sorts. Let's dive into the actual um, into the actual meat of the Quran and um, like the it, way that it's set up, the way that it's um, the way it, that it's put together, because it is significantly different than the Hebrew Bible or the New Testament. Yeah, most people, you know. I'm just taking a guess on this. Most people haven't actually picked up and read a Quran before, no. uh, and they're not familiar with the way that it is organized. Um, and it's very, very different uh, because we don't have a straight narrative here. As we've mm-hmm. talked about recitations, we've got a, a series and a collection of different recitations given at different times that are then yeah. compiled and collected. So if you're, if you're picking it up and wanting to read it left to right um, and expecting it to flow, that's not going to happen. Right, and it's not, again, another difference between the Quran and the Bible is, and that adds to this is, you know, the Bible is a collection of books, Mm -hmm. whereas the Quran is simply the collections of these revelations to Muhammad. So that also is one of the reasons why they're so differently organized. So just basic facts. Uh, The Quran is a collection of 114 surahs, Mm -hmm. and a surah is a... Section or chapter. Yeah, Yeah. it would be the equivalent of a chapter out of a specific book in the Bible. (laughs) And each each surah has a variation of ayah, of ayot. 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 Oh, you know, we do... I do Hebrew, so I'm probably screwing that up, actually. That's okay. Uh, the but the basic idea is that there are verses. Right. It's mm-hmm. still there's still verses within each chapter. And it's funny the the term that they use there literally means like a sign, like a sign from God. Um, but that's the term that they use for these verses. Each one is considered its own little mini revelation or something like that. Hmm. Um, and the organization of the Quran is after the first chapter, which is is very short. From that point forward, the chapters are simply arranged from longest to shortest, mm-hmm. which may sound strange to us, but that's also how the letters of Paul are arranged yep. in the New Testament. So, so sir number one is our longest. Sir number one fourteen is our shortest. Sorry, sir number two is our longest. Apologies. The the first is is a little yeah. opening intro yeah. thing. Sorry, the yeah. opening is it's a little bit shorter. The point stands. Yes, the point stands. So, if you ever wanted to pick up the Quran and try to kind of get into it, you know. One of the easiest ways to do that is not starting at the left. It's actually starting around Surah 93 or 94 mm-hmm. and just reading the last 10 or 20, which are all fairly short yep. um, and easy to read. There's actually another division that's present uh, within the surahs as well. Where uh, each surah is labeled at the beginning as either coming from Muhammad's time in Mecca or Muhammad's time in Medina. And this is a fairly important division, not just within the Quran, but that that's that transition from Mecca to Medina Mm -hmm. marks a very important moment in the history of Islam. So the year 622 CE is known as the year of the Hijra, when the Muslim community that was in Mecca was expelled. They were forced to flee because of persecution, and they end up settling in the city known as Medina. And this is actually considered really the beginning of Islam, Like, Mm -hmm. like Muslims date things in reference to 622 as year zero in the same way that Christians use the birth of Jesus as their year zero. And the reason for this is that like, well, why not date it from the birth of Muhammad or from the first revelation Muhammad received? 
the idea is that uh, this is the moment when the Islamic community became a community and that that's what you're dating. It's not Islam in the Islamic tradition has always existed, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Um, but this is the beginning of the Islamic community that survives to this day was in 622 at the Hijra. And so the surahs are labeled as either coming from Mecca or Medina. There are, uh, there are significantly more Meccan surahs, um, sheer number count-wise. Out of the 114, a, a, lar- a majority of them are Meccan surahs. About two-thirds. Yep. Now, alternatively, as far as word count goes, like we said, they're organized from longest to shortest. Um, the word count, they're about the same, about the same amount of... Meccan as Medinan surahs. Yeah. And it's also interesting when you divide them that way, you'll notice that there are different issues addressed in each set so that mm-hmm. the Mecca surahs, these these initial ones that Muhammad is giving at first, are very much focused more on theology, on the message that God has given him, on trying to get, persuade people to come to monotheism, to the belief in just one God. Whereas after you get to Medina, you the surahs tend to focus on, okay, now that we have a community of believers, how do you run a community? How do you deal mm-hmm. with issues like inheritance, marriage, divorce, adultery, all of those things? Yeah, um, women, surah number four is based completely on women. so And that is a uh, Medinan surah. And there's a lot more about Muhammad's life that we could get into, and maybe we'll do a, an episode on you mm-hmm. know the life, the life of the of prophet and, and talk about Idea. Muhammad. <laughs> we don't plan these things, folks. Yeah. They just happen. We're just fly by the seat of your pants kind of guys. So that's a basic crash course to the Quran. It is obviously the center point. It is the paramount holy text in the faith. And it is not necessarily just the words of Muhammad. It is the revelation from Allah to the angel Gabriel to Muhammad to Islam. But there's also um, there are also significantly important works outside of the Quran that exist in the faith as well. So the primary example of this are uh, collections of stories about Muhammad that are known as the Hadith. Mm-hmm. And these are stories where someone asked Muhammad a question and he gave an answer, or people noticed the way he acted or behaved in certain situations. And these are passed down and then eventually written down. And they're really interesting because each one has like a chain of transmission associated, like so-and-so heard from such and such who mm-hmm. heard from so-and-so who asked Muhammad X, Y, or Z, or who saw Muhammad do X, Y, or Z. Um, and these hadith, they, they, they function in a very interesting way in Islam because it's sort of like, you know, in Christianity, a few in the late 90s, I guess, there was that big trend with what would Jesus do? Um, well, in Islam, when they ask what would Muhammad do, you, you don't guess. You go to the hadith and mm-hmm. look to see if there was any situation like this. And people tend to think because Muhammad is this final prophet that he lived a life that was mostly pleasing to God, that if you follow his example, that's that's probably a pretty good example mm-hmm. to follow. Not that he was sinless or perfect or anything like no, that. No, not, not at all. But yeah, that he was not. he was a an excellent example of how to live your life. And he sets precedent. Yeah, yeah he right. sets not just religious but also legal precedent as well. Yes. And this is something that we'll come back to in the Sharia law episode in the future. And in the Five Pillars of Islam yeah, episode. Exactly. Um, so if you were going to go like the Quran is far and away the primary source, it's the only word of God to the Muslim community that's pure and unadulterated revelation. Mm-hmm. But then supplementary to that, you have the Hadith. Yeah. And these are actually pretty interesting because Muslim clerics, um, this is a point of discussion. They, over the, over the centuries have decided which Hadith are more reliable and which are less reliable, which ones that they think, okay, this is truly representative of what uh, Muhammad would have done or said. And then some that are questionable questionable just like purely apocryphal they don't necessarily need to 
read quite as much. They don't come into right. discussion. So there's a critical tradition yeah. re- related to these hadith. They're and not all taken as authentic automatically. And that's where the capturing, the literary capturing of the oral tradition, the this person, this person, this person, well, you're able to go and see, well, is that an actual legitimate source there right. for this to be said, or right. is that person not credible at all? So it's really interesting in the way that it's functioning both orally and literarily as well. Since we're bringing up the, the issue of oral tradition, one kind of final note on the Quran uh, is the transmission period from recitation and oral, you know, per, not performance, but oral speech, oral speech uh, and oral recitations into <laughs> oral speech, oral, you know, oral, speech. oral orality stuff <laughs> into the actual kind of codification and writing down of the Quran of the recitations. Right. So there, uh, Muhammad dies in the year 632, and our earliest co- written copies of the Quran come around in 644, so just within 12 that's, years of his death. That's absolutely incredible if you really think about it, something that was codified that quickly, especially in relation to the stuff that we do. Right, where the Hebrew Bible has a transmission and a compilation process that spans a thousand years at a, at a minimum. And early Christianity has the same thing where you're not a thousand years. But a couple but, centuries. But uh, I mean, at least a couple decades, at least you're talking like 40, 50 years, about the maybe 20 or 30 years at the earliest, but not, not within 10, 12 years. I mean, that's... No, and even rough. within Christianity, there's debates even once the stuff is written over, okay, what's exactly in and what's exactly yeah, out. I mean, um, whereas the final canonization of the Bible and Catholicism doesn't happen until 1,500 years later. So, yeah. I mean... Thanks, Luther. Um, but that's sarcastic or that was, that was sarcastic. Um, so, but everybody knew that. Whereas with the Quran, like you have an automatic definition of canonicity. If it was one of those things that Muhammad said that God told him it's in the canon. Um, and so, you know, after Muhammad dies very shortly after he dies, the group of people who was closest to him, they're called the companions. They're kind of like the apostles in, uh, Christianity, they get together and they start to, some of them had written some of the things Muhammad had said down, others of them had memorized them, and they just kind of put it all together and arrange it. And that happens within 12 years of his death. Yeah, it was the third caliph after the death of Muhammad, mm-hmm. uh, Uthman, who was responsible for it. That's right. And we actually have, uh, just this year actually, they found a new, uh, very old Quran manuscript that that's within a couple of decades of this event. Mm-hmm. So we actually have uh, very old copies of the Quran that go back within a few decades of the first compilation, which is to say within a few decades of Muhammad's life, we have copies of these things. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've gone through a lot in this introductory crash course to Mm -hmm. Islam. Talked about Islam. We've talked about Muslim. We've talked about Allah and what each of those words mean and signify. Uh, We talked about the role of Muhammad and how Muhammad is not the Islamic Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also kind of went into talking about the text, the the Quran and the Hadith. So hopefully you learned at least one thing listening to us. And make sure you tune in for our next episode on Islam. We're going to be covering the five pillars, which interestingly enough, um, originate not from the Quran, but from a uh, famous Hadith known as the Hadith of Gabriel. And we'll explain that more as we go along and as we get into that topic. So be on the lookout for uh, whenever Islam part two shows up. uh, And then kind of, if you have to come back to this one, listen to it, refresh yourself, and then jump back into the next one. And on that note, we're going to start to wrap things up a little bit. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please, please, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. That would really help us out. And also, um, if you're learning a lot, tell your friends about us. Um, we are educators, and we love teaching people about religion. It's what we do. It's what we love. 
So spread this around. Hopefully uh, more people will get hooked on it and we can continue to do this in an effective way. Do you guys have anything else to add? I'm good. No. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> this has been episode five of a Religion Cast podcast. I'm Raleigh. I'm Scott. I'm still Tyler. Still? <laughs> still. Okay. All right. Uh, for, for at least a little while. Uh, yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.